0: The animal Life. What's up, Wayne? How are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. Thank you for
1: being here. This is fascinating stuff. Um, When I saw your bio and saw the the book that you have written, um, which is uh, all about the vaccine court, uh, the vaccine court 2.0 revised and updated, of course. Um, I said, man, I'd like to get this guy on the show because COVID has been a hot topic. Mm-hmm. and vaccine and vaccine injuries have been a hot topic um probably hotter now than at least in my life than it's ever been so let's start let's start there why don't you just give a little bit of background about the va- what exactly is the vaccine court going back to the 1980s i believe this was founded correct
0: right uh, the vaccine court is actually called the national vaccine injury compensation program which was passed into law Uh, In 1986, signed into law by President Ronald Reagan, and it commenced operations October 1 of 1988. And what the purpose was, is what Congress wanted, was a fast, fair, equitable compensation program for children who suffered injuries from the seven uh, major vaccines at the time. And they were all single vials, such as you had You had the polio, you had diphtheria, tetanus, you had pertussis, um, DPT vaccine, you had measles, mumps, and rubella. That's your seven. And that's where it all started. And they were uh, awarding compensation if you could show um, what the outcome was from this vaccine, whether it was the seizures, or unfortunately, uh, if your child died, um, and a few other uh, known injuries then you were eligible for compensation and that's where the program started but it has morphed into something entirely different since then
1: so the program started it was its own court you couldn't file this in the state
0: or federal is that correct well it's really not a court it's a it's a it's a judicial process underneath the federal court of claims but you have uh an attorney, that represents you, the injured party. You have an attorney from the DOJ division, which represents the government. In this case, it's the secretary of HHS. And you have a special master. There's no judge here at this first initial level. And there's no trial. There's no jury type thing. It's a process Um, and uh, negotiations from there. Um, It's nicknamed the vaccine court because it's basically – you know, it's, you have drug courts and you have all these other types of special courts. Now and they're all the same thing. It's a, it's a no fault, uh, uh, process to, uh, secure compensation. Now the original program when passed allowed a petitioner after 240 days of being in the program to get a, what we call a final decision, meaning they would say that, the, um, the decision was is that uh, we're not going to compensate, they would reject it, which is a legal term, you have to reject it. Then you could exit and go into state court and file uh, a civil tort case. That was the original plan. That was taken away. Those rights to, uh, to seek, which is basically a Seventh Amendment argument, we uh, were taken away when the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court ruled in uh, the Hannah Bruzewitz case in 2011, that this process, the NVICP, is the exclusive remedy for all vaccine manu- uh, injuries, except for one uh, area, and that is proof fault, uh, uh, proof fault for fraud. Fraud is a very high bar to uh, achieve, and it's not about the individual receiving compensation there for the injury it's more about fraud of the manufacturer hiding something in clinical trials or doing something like that so it's basically a fraud case that's brought upon in a class action suit against the manufacturer uh, but that's an extremely high bar to uh, uh, to achieve any type of success
1: so the bar currently then is a preponderance of the
0: evidence is that correct yes and it's, it, it gets down to does your medical expert more credible than their medical expert? That's kind of where it is. And it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting is, is that it's come to that. There is what we call injury table, uh, a known injury table. Certain vaccines have a known injury table. Um, and if you can show that you have that, medical condition or been injured and had that medical outcome, you're eligible for compensation, such as the flu shot causing uh, what we call Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is like some people call it the modern day polio uh, or the flu shot causing uh, severe shoulder injury because of a poor administration of the, of the actual uh, needle into the shoulder instead of into the muscle. Mm. Those are, then you're eligible for compensation right there, and you don't have to prove it. Everything else, more or less, you do have to prove. And that gets difficult.
1: Yes. So based upon my research, again, going back to the 80s, they put this program in place, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the big pharma companies that were being held liable and responsible, God forbid somebody has this adverse reaction, or is, even, if it, even if they weren't the cause of it and they mm-hmm. were found guilty of it, Um, they were liable. So it it caused a lot of these pharma companies to kind of go, hey, 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 if we're going to be held liable
0: for this, we're not going to put out vaccines. Is that correct? Well, it is is true. That's what they tried to sell to Congress. But the real story is the pharmaceutical manufacturers had what we call um, property casualty insurance. And those insurance carriers were going to refuse to provide what we call uh, insurance again against defective uh, uh, products. Um, and so what would happen was, is that if you had a normal, um, say 1980, you had a child who's injured from the DPT vaccine could go to court and file um, um, a state court civil tort and actually win and maybe be awarded a half a million dollars, okay? The property insurance or property casualty insurance would actually, the insurance policy would actually pay, not the manufacturer. Um, The insurance company started rolling back and said, no, we're not gonna do this anymore. And then the vaccine manufacturers were actually on the hook. And then they started having to pay a little bit. Um, And then they went to Congress and said, we don't wanna do this anymore. We're getting out of this business. So it's kind of a combination of that, but the agreement with Congress was, is that if we give you uh, indemnification for lawsuits, you have to keep ensuring that the vaccine supply is adequate, but it's also safe. You've got to keep researching to create safer vaccines. That part has not been uh, been uphold by the, the manufacturers. So there really isn't much that they could have done. Um, Congress was, it was kind of caught in the middle here. They had to create a vaccine, uh, ensure a vaccine supply for the country and the manufacturers were holding them hostage. So they came up with this compromise and that's what you have. The, uh, um, but it's interesting. It's only for children when it was established. Now it's all about adults. So what was the
1: reform? I think there was something in the early 2000s there was a, a moment of reform. Is that correct? Two thousand five, the, the well, there's been there's a
0: couple there's a couple major uh, turning points to the story here. And the first yeah. one started in nineteen ninety five. That's when re, re, what we call residual seizure disorder was removed as a known injury from the DPT vaccine. That was the number one injury filed up until that time. Was DPT causing seizures the secretary of uh, donna shalala of uh, secretary of hhs donna shalala under the bill clinton administration removed it as an injury therefore now you had to go in and prove it uh and the second one was 1997 Let when me they just
1: ask you real quick wayne yeah. interrupt you here when you say now you have to go in and prove it, what exactly are you meaning? Because you had to prove it before. But what I think, what are you saying with that?
0: Well, before, all you had to show was is that they got the vaccine and the child started having seizures and you have medical records that 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 is what we call a table injury. Seizures had to start and you have a medical records doctor saying, yeah, they've had they're having seizures, whatever types that they are. That's what we call a known injury. That's a table injury. Therefore, they're subject, they are eligible for compensation. Now, when you move, remove that, now you got to prove the vaccine actually causes seizures. That's very difficult because now you got to get into the science. And what that does, it creates a very litigious and a very adversarial program. Instead of one to two years to get to go through the program, it might be three, it might be five. And very common to have eight and ten year life of a petition to go through. You had to well, show like a direct
1: causation is basically what you're saying then at that point.
0: Like right. A,
1: a direct causation from from the that caused that seizure was actually the vaccine. That is very hard. That's
0: very hard. But then the children are still suffering. Right. Eight to 10 years later, they're still, their petition is still up in the air, and they're still suffering from, you know, the, the parents are doing what they can to help with their child, um, and you just don't know where it's going to happen. Um, and so this program almost started grinding to a halt because of, you know, this, this big, huge change point where you had to go and prove causation. And then that's where it gets to the point: whose whose medical expert is more credible at that at that one time, at that one hearing, medical hearing, or uh, or a group of medical hearings. And then it becomes more policy too, meaning one of the special masters is more. Ah, I'm more in favor of pharmaceutical industry, so I'm going to be more difficult, and then you have other special masters that might lean the other way. So it, it, you got, it, it became pretty ugly in there. Then who's in 97, appointing the
1: special, who's appointing the special masters, Wayne?
0: Special masters are appointed by the uh, uh, federal court of claims, which is a uh, the federal uh, uh, judicial branch, uh, which is appointed by the president. And these special masters are hired for uh, four year terms. They're selected. Some come from tax court. Some come from VA benefits, social security. Um, We have one special master right now that used to be a petitioner's attorney. Um, And they're appointed for a four-year term. And then they get reappointed if they want to. Um, How many are there? How many are there that, that oversee the court? There are eight right now. Um, which causes some problems because there's not enough of them. We've got a huge backlog of over 4,000 petitions. This is just traditional vaccines. We're not even talking about the COVID stuff yet. Correct. And there's an effort right now, there's a, a legislative effort to possibly uh, remove the ceiling of eight and put in no less than 10 my thinking and my discussions with some members of Congress and some other people is, is that we need to have at least a minimum of 16, possibly 20 special masters and associated staff, meaning law clerks and everything else that help process it, to help move these petitions along.
1: Yes, I, I want to dig into some of the, the logistics and how they're situated mm-hmm. to get a better, clear, paint a clearer picture for people. You've got eight that you've got eight of them that oversee this uh, quasi court because it's not even a real court to your point. Right. And so when my case gets assigned to one of the eight special masters or do all eight oversee it? Your case gets assigned randomly to one of the special masters. So it gets assigned randomly to one. Mm -hmm. And so, so the, and clearly there's some that may be more favorable to the, plaintiff or the injured versus more favorable to the to the farmer so it's just a shoot roll of the dice are they all are i guess my question is is that how are they is there a standard i mean i know you have to show this proof and this uh, preponderance of evidence but are they held to a standard or is it just based off of their own experiences when they're making well
0: there is there is certain standards that they have to abide by but they're but it the The statutes of the program allow special masters uh, a wide uh, range of discretion in how they interpret scientific evidence and how they interpret other processes. So um, there is no, there is a couple special masters that are known. If you get them, you probably have no chance at all of prevailing. Mm. Um, Who holds them accountable, Wayne? The, uh, court of federal claims does, and those are appointed by the president and the chief, um, judge over the special, uh, over the, uh, the federal court of claims is appointed by Biden. Uh, there is some appointed by Trump. There's some that have been appointed by Obama still in there. Um, pharmaceutical industry has strong holds here. Um, oh. And it's, 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 it can be frustrating, but there are some fair judges and some fair special masters. It boils down, though, to how strong is your case? Because you just got to show 50-50 plus the weight of a feather. Yes. Uh, and But once again, there is is that there's no certainties in medicine. People think medicine is certainties. There's nothing. Because the way the, the statute, the, the program is, is that you just have to prove that there is, there is, um, uh, a, a plausible theory that this vaccine does cause this injury, but the government's position is we can prove something else caused it. Okay. All they have to show is something else could cause it. Right. And that's where it gets really tricky. And, uh, so, and then there's also timing element. Uh, if you're familiar with the uh, injury or uh, disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which a lot of people um, kind of correlate as the um, modern day polio, a lot of the victims um, have severe weakness or uh, in their limbs, especially their legs and they're in wheelchairs. Guillain-Barre symptoms cannot occur um before three days, so if you get vaccinated with the with a flu shot, you cannot have symptoms of Guillain before three days. The medical literature that's accepted is it has to develop from three days to no later than forty two days. And don't ask me why that is. No one really knows. They say medical literature. Mm-hmm. I've tried to explore what what happens. Why is it three days and no uh, no greater than forty two days? Well, if it happens on two days, or it happens two months later, now you got to prove the injury actually occurred. If it you know, but if it's within that window and you've got medical diagnosis, medical records, then you should be eligible for compensation, hmm. unless the government can find some other reason, right and that's the absurdity sometimes that happens in this program.
1: So I saw, too, that a lot of people, especially at the beginning of the program, probably still to this day, have claimed they've filed the suits based upon um, their loved one receiving or becoming autistic. Autism was a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of cases dealt around autism. And of course, on a vast majority of them, the courts dismissed it. There was no compensation awarded but there were cases where compensation was awarded. So to me, that means the tort system or this, this vaccine court agrees that vaccines, while not always the only cause for autism, clearly contribute to several of the victims' autism. Is that correct?
0: I I I would agree with that statement. And here's the reason why, is, is that there was a, a lot of cases – filed starting in 1999, 2000, 2001, where um, thimerosal containing vaccines or the MMR, which does not contain, because that's a live virus, containing uh, MMR would cause autism. And the the leading thimerosal cases were what we call DPT or DTaP vaccines causing autism or MMR causing autism. And it started creating a lot of cases and the program started recognizing it and created what we call the uh, omnibus autism proceedings or OAP in 2002. And what they did is they brought it forward and the court decided that they're gonna have what we call an omnibus hearing. And they asked all the petitioners through their representatives all these attorneys that represented their clients, and it had to be, you know, 5,700 cases. They said, We want some test cases and we're going to try the test cases and determine. And if we conclude that the uh, vaccines cause autism, then each case would then be awarded compensation. So they selected basically nine test cases. The first set of three was did MMR cause autism or, and then another set was, did thimerosal cause autism? And then a third set of three would be, did MMR and uh, thimerosal vaccines cause autism? And so what they would do, the, the first case was uh, Michelle Cedillo, um, which in, incidentally was filed in 1998, at the end of 1998. And her case went actually got a hearing in 2007, so we're actually nine years later. Mm. Okay, so it took for a long time to bring this thing forward. The second case was Hazelhurst. Those two are the most infamous. Along comes another one. That's Hannah Poling's case. But Michelle Sadil and Hazelhurst cases were doomed from the start because the government did not want to conclude that their, uh, the vaccines caused autism and they created such a mechanism to uh, uh, support their conclusions. At the same time, Hannah Polling was going to be in one of the test case uh, uh, sets. Her case got pulled out because the government quietly conceded that in her case the vaccines did cause autism and there was a lot of wordsmithing. Uh, CDC director, Julie Gerberding, he said autism like, and some other people said autism like, and said they didn't want to say autism. And they you were you know, autism,
1: the, like autism, like symptoms. Is that kind of what they yeah. were saying?
0: Okay. Yeah. Autism, autism is a, is a set of symptoms. So they were trying to, they were trying to get around autism, by using autism like and say, oh, it kind of resembles autism, but it, this girl had autism. Yeah. But because she had what we call a mitochondrial disorder and dysfunction, which is the energy use in, in their cells, that created this autism like uh, condition. And they awarded her compensation. Um, and then it was the family came forward. And basically, there there you had it. You had the, the uh, Hannah Polling case went public on it, but Sadil and Hazelhurst were defeated, along with the other ones, and they the appeals were uh, were then uh, rejected. So you had basically OAP saying these fifty seven hundred cases were not compensated mm. because. Yeah, because what we reached in Sedil and Hazelhurst cases, okay, and polling's case moves forward. At the same time, four author, uh, four people that I know very well, attorneys Mary Holland in New York City, Robert Krakow in New York City, uh, investigative um, uh, officer for um, for well, I guess it's Westchester County, Lou Conti, and attorney Lisa Collin started meeting and said, we can start finding more cases. And they started finding cases and they were told with the help of Cheryl Atkinson of CBS news and some other people, and they were able to find 83 cases of compensated vaccine and, uh, uh uh, autism vaccine-induced, or excuse the vaccine-induced autism, cases that were compensated in the program prior to the OAP. And in 2011, May of 2011, they had a news conference in front of the Federal Court of Claims, which is a building, just kind of kitty-corner from the White House. It's off the corner of the big, huge red brick building that's off the corner of Lafayette Park. By the White House, and they released their paper. They showed eighty-three cases. Well, I took it from that, and I worked with Luke Conti from there, and we've subsequently been searching all the cases all the way up through present day, and we found another. We think another twenty-six cases that have been compensated. Some in two thousand twelve, some in two thousand. 13, 14, and 15, but they, they don't say autism anywhere in the decision. You might have a 300-page document of, of, of the decision, and they don't show autism anywhere. But when you look at the compensation amounts and look at what they're going to pay for these children as far as certain types of therapies and all this other stuff, this is autism. And all we have to do is contact the family and don't suggest it, but say, you know, let them talk, talk to us. And sure enough, they have autism. So it's an ongoing process. A government says they don't want to do it because they're afraid and they know it. If they publicly said that vaccines cause autism, parents will stop vaccinating their kids. And rightly so. And
1: there's, and there'd probably be the biggest class action lawsuit of all time.
0: (laughs) Probably yeah, it would, it it would it would dwarf anything else in the United States federal budget. Uh, it would be hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars. Um, it's just something like like my son, who is now will be twenty five. He was vaccine injured, and he regressed into what we call severe regressive autism. Oh wow! So
1: yeah, it's uh, just, I was gonna. I was going to ask you, and I assume that that's part of it, but you can confirm. Uh, what even got you interested in this topic at the outset?
0: It's my son. Uh, I have twin boys. They're now they uh, they'll be twenty five here in October, and Nick uh, was vaccine injured at the age of thirteen months by the MMR, and we went through a series of two two weeks of constant screaming, crying, diarrhea, vomiting, everything, high temps, everything. Then he kind of settled down and then slowly restarted regressing. And then over the course of another 18 months, he lost his speech and has lost his ability to play with his brother, his desire to play with his brother, um, and quite a few other things. And I am so sorry to hear that. Well, it's just what, well, let me ask you where it is. So
1: I appreciate that though, but yeah. Go, go back to that time period, 25 years ago. Okay. You have one-year-old boys. Everything's mm-hmm. going on normal. Both right. of them get the measles, mumps, and rubella shot at the same time, correct?
0: That's correct. At 13 months, um, they were actually they were uh, kind of sick, it had little costs and everything at the age of 12 months. So we, we put it off until 13 months. Wife decided, okay, let's just go back and we'll reschedule. So at 13 months, we go in. And the boys are just typical uh, ki- uh, kids at the time. Ta- you know, they're 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 jabbering and you know talking all the, they want, whatever they wanted to do. And it, we go in and MMR vaccine. That was the only one that was given at the time that we we had at the time. And Nick had a severe reaction to it.
1: And within how his brother did? You said the other one was fine, but Nick. Mm-hmm. Had this adverse uh, adverse reaction to it. How soon thereafter? You mentioned like the next week or 10 days was bad. Was it like right away you get home and here it, it starts? How many days did it take?
0: Well, he had a severe reaction. Once he got the MMR, he, he, he started screaming very loud in the doctor's office and arching his back. Um, and so the doctor gave him some Tylenol, which 25 years ago we didn't know. No one knew that's the worst thing to give them. Is Why tylenol. is that the worst thing? Why is that way? Well, Tylenol's got a mechanism and it it, it kind of basically stops the build the, the help, or, or I should say, it it prevents the body from detoxifying itself. And Tylenol the worst thing you can, uh, baby Tylenol is the worst thing you can give to a child. One of the worst things you can give to a child. But we didn't know that, and I think it was like six or seven years later is when the research came out that we shouldn't be giving baby Tylenol to any baby. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just, that's just, um, you know, that's just uh, very toxic to a lot of kids. So the doctor gives uh, him
1: baby Tylenol, we didn't know right. that. It's it's preventing him from getting the toxins out of his body, whatever was going on. Uh right. And then he comes home, and and the next several weeks, it's just it's chaos for you. Constant, it, yeah, it's
0: just for a couple of weeks, it's just constant crying, screaming, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation, everything. Uh, calling the doctor's office every day, and they said, "Oh, he's going to be fine." Pediatricians, you know, we had him on speed dial then right. every and every day, and then he finally settles down. Okay. So I said, okay, well, he's maybe over it. Sure. Um, Then over the bottom, when he turns 18 months, which is five months later, we started seeing a little bit of a decline. And by the time of two years of age, he he lost his speech, uh, the desire to play with his brother, um, and a lot of other things. And, you know, it, uh, by when, by the age of about three, three and a half, my wife and I were talking about the A word, but we didn't want to say the whole word. We just said the A word. And we asked the pediatrician, he said, oh, don't worry. You know, uh, Einstein didn't talk to the age of five. What?
1: You know? That's that's what the doctor said. Einstein didn't yeah, talk until five. So the age of five.
0: That's how, that was a so uh, medical so, opinion. Yeah. yeah. So by the age of four and a half, we took him in to, uh, we got on an appointment with a Columbia-trained a psychiatrist down in Oklahoma at the time we were living in Oklahoma. And she, after a couple of days, diagnosed him with severe regressive autism and said, I know autism, but I don't know how to help or retreat or recover your child here's two pages out of a textbook that i had in college and here's a prescription for ritalin and we said okay so we get out to the parking lot i looked and i said really this is what we're doing wife takes it and tears up the prescription from ritalin and throws it into you know just onto onto the uh, parking lot and we take off let and me then that's stop what you began again. our journey.
1: This mm-hmm. woman tried to, this woman gave you a recommendation. She gave you a prescription for a, a focus booster for a five, like a, a variant Ritalin. It's for AD, hey. ADHD, you, you know, Yeah. gives you, and she, this is what she wanted to treat your son with to help with reverse his autism was Ritalin.
0: This is the science that they knew back then, 20, 20 years ago. Mm. it's 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 unbelievable um well then
1: it makes you it makes you wonder what's what's happening now we think everyone knows what they're talking about and we we've
0: seen through covid that nobody knows what they're talking about (laughs) that is correct it's just science is never settled it's never set and it's always evolving and it was quite interesting what we know from two years ago to what we know now regarding covid and how to treat covid and then With autism, but with autism, we're still battling. Federal government wants to do all these regressive, you know, genetic testing, and we know it's not genetic. There might be a genetic component, but a lot of it is environmental assaults on the child. And so, you know, you got gut issues, you got uh, inflammation issues of the whole body. You have to address all those things first, and course modern medicine a lot of doctors don't want to do that because that's not what they're trained in medical school
1: did you have a successful
0: claim against the uh in the vaccine court for your son at the time we were we were talking with an attorney it's actually the same attorney hannah poling had and we sent three bank you know you know what a banker's box looks like you know the storage boxes right we sent three of them up to his office they're in Virginia and of documents that we had and said, everything looks great except for one problem. And that one problem was, is that we were six months too late. The statute of limitations, of limitations. is three years. That's that's you know, all, all it is. It's Wow, is three years. And we were six months too late. What if, what, what about people that, that
1: don't even know three years could be, you know, your problems could blossom five, 10 years later
0: to a vaccine injury. That is correct, and that's what's happening with the Gardasil today. Um, we hear a lot of a lot of girls especially because they're becoming sterile from Gardasil. And they're since we give the Gardasil ages 11, 12 and 13, their menstrual cycles are always off at that time anyway. They're not regular. It's just the way we are the way girls are as young teenagers. But once they reach age of 23, 24, and 25, when they're thinking, maybe we should start a family, they find out that they're sterile. What exactly is Gardasil? Gardasil is the uh, HPV vaccine. HPV, okay. That's human uh, papilloma? uh, Yeah, virus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um,
1: So you're saying, you know, girls are are taking that around, you know, preteen. But, of course, they don't know what that's going to do to them 15 years later, 10 years later. That's right. And, and the statute and of limitations has already expired, correct? Three years. Yep. three. So years. By the time they're 15, which they shouldn't have be been figuring out if they're able to have children or not <laughs> at that age. By the time they're
0: 15, the statute of limitations has,
1: has expired.
0: Gone. But they don't know until the age of 22, 23, 24, when they're wanting to have start a family that, hmm, then they go in and find out that you're you have what we call premature ovarian failure, which normally doesn't occur in women until their fifties.
1: Where's the biggest area? Uh, uh, there's several. So your your book talks about this. I want to I want to get over to. Let me just finish back real quick because there's a lot of going on here. But let me finish back with you on, on your son, your son Nick. Yeah. So your son Nick has he has he been nonverbal since that childhood yeah he he's
0: nonverbal. um he communicates with him with he, uh, he likes to hum and of course then he has he makes his own sounds but he can't form words he's uh doesn't have the ability to do that so he communicates with us by you know uh pointing to what he wants or using his ipad or we kind of know what he's wanting to do wow. um but he's dependent on us to prepare his food so he can eat it because he wouldn't know how to do that. Uh, he still lives in, he's not potty trained. Um, so that's a difficult process. Wow. And so he lives with us and, sure. uh, wow. I what with that uh, from there.
1: Mm-hmm. So going through such a traumatic experience for you, your wife, your family, mm-hmm. um, do you recommend that any, you know, they give kids vaccines now within 24 hours of them being born. You know better than anybody. You, you, they, they're, they're, they're putting stuff into these babies right off the rip. Some of them doesn't even make sense. Are you for any type of vaccines for the children? What's your whole take on, I know it's loaded, but what's your whole take on vaccines for newborns, one-year-olds, MMR, etc.? cetera?
0: I wouldn't vaccinate a child before the age of three. And anything. Anything. And anything. the reason why is this. The immune system is the last organ or development of a baby, unborn child. When it's born, eyes and the immune system and the lungs are the last three things to be fully developed when it at a full-term baby. So and but so
1: after three years old, which vaccines are you comfortable with?
0: I'll let the parents decide. For me, I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't um, do it, yeah. No, but you're uh, saying if you're uh, going unless to do you're in a high risk, yeah, unless you're in a high risk area, um, and you got some some issues. That hepatitis B is just is nothing but a baby killer, mm. um, because it's not designed for it. It was never tested on babies. It was just tested on um, young adults, and only monitored for five days afterwards. You know, it's for you know, hepatitis B <laughs> risk. I don't see. I don't see a newborn baby shooting up heroin in the, in the city park or going prostituting themselves. See, how the, do they justify that?
1: I've heard a lot about that one, actually, Wayne. I was going to ask you about that. How, how does the medical community justify that? It's protecting
0: themselves. It's protecting themselves, not the child. It's protecting the hospital in case of transmission of hepatitis B somewhere in the hospital. You can very easily test the pregnant mother to see if she is uh, hepatitis B positive with a pinprick in the, in the hand or in her foot by a simple blood test day or two before giving birth. Mm. Right. I mean, that's the way it is or stuff like this. But then we put in all this pertussis. Yes. Whooping cough is really rough on newborns. We have to protect that. But what's interesting about the DPT vaccine or the DTaP vaccine is, is that the vaccine wanes. It, it doesn't, it, it, the, the vaccine immunity that it gives is very temporary and it wanes over a period of months. So that's why they're always saying more boosters and more boosters. Um, measles is, is is always a difficult one. But in the United States, I don't know of any child who's died from measles in the last fifteen to fifteen eighteen years. Uh, there has been a couple deaths from measles, but they were uh, poorly. Uh, there was an adult who had a compromised immune system, and, and a couple other people. Uh, but we have proper nutrition, we have proper water, sewer, sewage, uh, and and things like and food storage. So measles is a problem in Africa. Measles is a problem in a few countries, but not in the United States. Um, Things like this. Let the parents decide. I wouldn't do anything before the age of three, at, at least, because give the immune system, then spread it out. It's ridiculous to be just throwing 16 different vaccines and their boosters, so by the time they reach the age of 16, they have 72 doses of vaccines in them Ooh. that's just it, it's unconscionable um so, diseases diseases are dangerous but they can be treated properly with proper medical care yes so this led you on a a real
1: Path obviously, you found out that your statute of limitations expired, yeah, and then you went down this journey. I mean, now that you the, the court and the system, you the system's flawed, I saw something like there was 1.2 awards for every million vaccine uh applications, or something like that was the average. So, you're you know, the chance of you ever even being compensated for it if you did have an injury is so minimal. You're talking about months, if not years, in the legal process two, three, four years. Uh, at times. What is your biggest frustration? Your book, which we'll link in the show notes, which is uh, um, which you talk about 2.0. So I assume this is your
0: updated version, the Vaccine Core 2.0. Um, yeah, that was released last year. June of uh, 2.0 was released June of uh, 2021. Right. And so,
1: what is the biggest challenge or, or your biggest frustration with the system
0: as it currently sits today? Well, what happened was, is that we switched from a childhood vaccine injury protection program to an adult program. And that happened, and you, uh, you early alluded to a change point of 2005, and that's when it actually, the big flu shot was approved and added to the program. And what that did is, is that brought adults into the, into the equation at a very large uh, rate. And what we've seen since then is, is that petitions for adults outnumber petitions for children about 10 to one, okay? So they're moving along. The last, I, keep, I have a huge database, about 15,000 decisions. Um, I started out in 2010 writing my first book, which was published in 2014, and I started looking at, and I started interviewing families, two hundred eighty-five families, all different types of vaccines, all different types of injuries, um, and I started recording their decisions. And I just kept adding and adding and adding and adding. What I've noticed is that there's some trends, and they don't, and the government doesn't publish a lot of data because they don't want people to know actually what the heck is actually there. But for the last five to six years, the trend is 95, give or take, percent of all compensated cases are adults. So we're only compensating 5% for children, okay? Which is just obscene, since this program was supposed to be for children. It's all about the flu shot right now. Flu shot causing shoulder injury, flu shot causing Guillain-Barre in adults. That is where the focus is. That's 80-some percent of the work of this program right now is concentrated in those two areas. Let me ask you real uh, quick, too. So back in 2005, they put that, the, the flu. Who's they? Who's putting that, that vaccine Secretary on Secretary of HHS adds it to the program based on the recommendation from the CDC's committee, which is ACIP, um, Advisory uh, Committee on Immunization Practices. They approved it for routine administration, Okay, the flu shot. That's part of the CDC. They send it over to the secretary of HHS, which has the authority to add or take away a vaccine. When you say HHS, is that Homeland Security or something else? No. uh, HHS is uh, uh, Health
1: and Human Services. Health and Human Services. Okay. Because I knew there was the Homeland Security Act, as I'm looking here, that was involved too. So that's why, okay.
0: That's okay. more into the COVID, and the Prep Act, and all that. Yeah.
1: Okay, so these are the bodies that are responsible for saying, "Okay, this vaccine's not on the list. If you're injured now, you could file a claim."
0: Um, right. But you're there saying is your biggest
1: first, so is that safe to say that what you're saying is is that the children are being underrepresented now? Completely. Well, they're, they're,
0: they're the doors being shut on them. The doors. They really shut. don't have a chance anymore. Uh, we used to compensate for SIDS. We no longer do. Uh, We used to compensate for early onset of seizures and epilepsy. We no longer do. We used to compensate for uh, a lot of other uh, issues. Um, The arguments made by our government in appeals court is something that follows this summary. It says, your honors, if you award compensation to this family, parents will no longer vaccinate their kids. Not based on science. Based on a policy decision there. Huh. What is now is, is that our government is all about enforcing a vaccine policy instead of protecting the people. And showing if there are any harms in the vaccines. Yes, they are. Not everyone's going to be injured. Most people don't know that they're injured. There's another problem. You got chronic uh, asthma. You got severe food allergies. You got autism, ADHD, ADD. Um, you have a lot of uh, autoimmune disorders, transverse myelitis, Dean Barrett that might develop later in life. Um, a lot of other things could be associated, not can be, but could be associated with a prior vaccine. We have a lot of walking zombies around the United States right now that I believe are been vaccine injured and are going through suffering from chronic illness. And so many of them probably don't even know it.
1: That's, don't don't that's know right. that the vaccine caused it. That takes me to let's let's we're getting close to finishing, but I do. We have to talk about a little bit about the most obvious elephant in the room. And that, as we've talked about briefly was COVID. Mm-hmm. So COVID comes along and, You see that maybe a year into it, maybe a little less, give or take, um, Pfizer, Moderna, the the vaccines start coming out to market, and they start pushing it hard. Let's talk. What's your overall take on the COVID vaccine? Is it something that somebody should or should not have gotten?
0: Well, for those who are in high-risk groups, meaning the elderly, or have a lot of what we call uh, medical conditions, maybe are severely obese or have other issues, they might want to think about it. But healthy individuals under the age of 40 or 50, should, ne- I, I, I believe, should never have to take this vaccine. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. The risks of injury are greater than the risks of any uh, outcome from the virus infection. So, doing right. a
1: cost-benefit analysis for a normal person, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, maybe even sixty years old, somewhere in that range, um, their decent, de- decent lifestyle, health, you know, unless they have some outrageous condition or extraordinary condition, mm-hmm. you're saying that you believe that the vaccine actually presented a greater threat, potentially, right. than just receiving the natural virus
0: uh, antibodies. The, the 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 risks are uh, tremendously higher if you take the vaccine for some type of an outcome than they are if you look at it for the infection.
1: I got to tell you, too, Wayne, just to piggyback off of that is, <coughs> excuse me, I'm, like I said, I'm fighting the cold here, but to piggyback off of that, um, I know groups of people that have gotten the vaccine <coughs> and some that haven't, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, and the ones who have. Ironically are having all these conditions now. Right. It's astonishing. <clears throat> we went almost a full hour without me having to cough too much, and then I got attacked just now. so Well, anyway, okay. Um, anyways, uh, like I said, you know, I, I've seen people that got it versus not getting it, and not everyone that got it obviously has gotten sick. but <clears throat> ironically, a lot of people that I know that got the vaccine have had some weird medical random things that have never happened to them are
0: happening to them. That's right. What's your take? Well, a lot of us that have been uh, dealing with vaccine safety kind of were always put into this label of, Oh, these are anti-vaxxers and uh, you know, and used as a slur. But we knew going in that because there was no long-term studies, eight months versus traditional vaccines, seven to 10 years. Um, and that seven to 10 years is used to tease out autoimmune disorders and fertility issues and everything else. Um, that was lacking. So we knew that the medical community um, and public health officials were lying to us and it just created a bigger divide. You have people now the SARS-CoV, you know, the the, vi- the virus itself is a serious virus, especially for the elderly and for those who have compromised immune systems uh, or immune systems. Um, just like a flu, a flu virus or pneumonia virus is is very difficult on the elderly. Okay, so the, we we tend to forget the number of um, flu deaths and pneumonia deaths and things like this in our elderly population on an annual basis. Now the the SARS is an entirely different type of virus. So it's not similar in in the way of the makeups of structure as a flu virus. Mm. So yes, the first time around or even the second time around as it circulates within the population, um, you're going to have a lot of people adversely affected by it. So those people, yes, you might want to take take the chance. My mom is 84 years old, so she she got the vi- uh, vaccine. Sure, okay. sure. Um, <clears throat> I you're saying for well, somebody
1: I, in a normal state, you didn't believe it was it was worth the risk. No,
0: Did I. You- I you you're you you look like you're extremely healthy. You work out. You've got a great diet. I got a feeling this that's that's your forte in life.
1: Uh, yeah, I uh, I was not going to be putting anything in my body that that didn't need to be
0: put in it. And see, it did make sense no. to force you to take this because your body will be trained to react better to the virus than it would be if you injected the so-called gene therapy or whatever it is into it and try to react and try to protect you from there. Now, what we now know is, is that we are we vaccinating everybody for that spike protein. What we didn't know was what would happen a year or two years later, and that's all these variants are, are popping up. Right, And it now appears those who have been vaccinated with the original strains of vaccines and boosted are now becoming magnets for the, uh, for the variants. Wow. And, and it's going like this, those who were went through and had natural infection from the original virus and the, you know, the alpha strain and the Delta strain have, are in better are better aligned to fight off any of the variants, okay? That doesn't mean, you know, if you got COVID, say, in February of 2021, and it took you two to three weeks to get over it, you had a cough, cold, and a whole bunch of other stuff, felt like a truck ran over you, that type of things, you know, you might get COVID again this, this winter because it's a little bit different variant, but it'll be a mild version we're being sold, we're being told, and being, we're being lied to that if you get the vaccine, it's a lesser, you uh, you have a, a lesser degree of, uh, of infection symptoms. That's not true. We're actually seeing the opposite. And that is, is that the data coming out of Israel, data coming out of Germany, the data coming out of some other countries, South Africa, shows that those who have been vaccinated are now becoming magnets for the new variants. And it's quite possible that they would have uh, a more severe reaction than someone who has natural immunity. Last
1: question just, for you, my friend, mm-hmm. last question for you. This is fascinating stuff. And I hope that there's reforms that continue to be made to this vaccine court and yeah. program. And, and we're shedding hopefully some light into this thing, but um, do you see any time soon or, or any time at all that, that, Treasure, the, the people that are uh, responsible for putting the vaccines on the list, do you think COVID is next?
0: Well, COVID right now is the countermeasures to the COVID virus are in what we call covered under the PrEP Act. And the PrEP Act is in force. Therefore, they have their own compensation program. It's ah. not the regular vaccine court. They have a separate one. And this one's worse than the traditional vaccine court. One, the statute of limitations is only one year. It's an administrative process. You don't have the right to an uh, appeal up to a judge, to a circuit court, and then finally to the Supreme Court. There is no – it's an administrative process. And they haven't paid out one damage award yet. They've got over 10,000 petitions received for COVID-related countermeasures. That's the vaccine jab, the, uh, all the medical devices used to help treat COVID patients, antiviral drugs, so you have ventilators, you have remdesivir, which has killed so many people, um, and other things. So they're all housed in what we call the countermeasures injury compensation program, which is an administrative process Conducted under uh, HHS, and they haven't paid out one compensated case yet. Wow. Um, and it's just building. Each month, there's just more and more petitions received. Um, I truly believe what they're trying to do is waiting until sometime uh, adequately before they start processing claims where they can move the Pfizer and Moderna products. Which will have the full licensure product, not the EUA emergency youth authorization license, but the full license and approval, and move it into the vaccine court. That could be next year, could be three or four years from now. But once again, you've got a lot of people who are injured now. Right. I mean, a lot of breadwinners, their families are crumbling, they're losing their jobs, they're losing their homes. Um they don't know how to take care of what's going on. I know of a triathlon athlete here in Minnesota. She would run these triathlons or these long distance bike races, 150 miles, 200 mile races. She's now confined to a wheelchair because she took the COVID vaccine. I've got, I know so many other people. Um, I've interviewed quite a few of them already that are, that are perfectly healthy adults that can't function normally. The media, the media won't put these people out there for anyone to see. That's correct. We're hiding them because they don't want to see the actual results of what's happened. Um, those who have died from it, you know, you have your public health officials saying no one's died from the, from the COVID vaccine. Actually, we've, we've shown that they have. You don't have us you don't get a seven year old or actually a thirteen year old develop a brain hemorrhage, uh, one week after getting the vaccine. You don't have seven year olds dying from the vaccine, on a, 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 from the re- results of it. Uh, myocarditis is just running rampant. All these, all these athletes falling on the ground, um, passing out. You got heart issues. That's this is this is this is severe insanity what's happening to our population and it might be there's reasons for that i guess um you know the bill gates of the world want to control population this is one way of doing it who's to be held liable who's
1: to be held liable if we find out that this was this was like does it does it start with dr fauci does it go to a, a presidential the entire administration does it go to the pharma companies i know everybody's uh complicit well yeah you
0: you got the pharmaceutical industry you have you know the problem is is that none of them are going to be really held accountable in the end not by us there'll be justice for them but it's when they meet their maker but not from us but Fauci and um Dr. Birx and all the public health officials that were just misleading the public of course the pharmaceutical manufacturers there's just it's so widespread around the world it's unbelievable what, what what's happening here um yeah but you know that's 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 going to be beyond my pay grade <laughs> i'm i'm more interested yeah. in talking and focusing about what to do with how to compensate these people and my third book is that's what i'm writing about now is what's happening around the world global compensation programs in Japan, in Indonesia, in France, in China, South Africa, in Canada, in Mexico. That's uh, f- fantastic
1: stuff. The Vaccine Court 2.0, uh, Wayne Road. Uh, we will link your book in the show notes. Please let us know uh, where else you might want people to find you online.
0: Well, the, um, the, the book's website is, uh, is thevaccinecourt.com. And then, if you want to follow along on my podcast, it's rightonpoint.online. What's the name of your
1: podcast?
0: Right on point? Right right on point.online. That's the audio track. And then the the video track is rumble.com forward slash C forward slash right on point. YouTube wiped out my whole video library. They refused, they put it up there and then they wiped it all out. So I had to move everything over to Rumble. Um, and if you want to on Twitter, if you want to follow me on Twitter, if you dare, it's at Wade Roadie. <laughs> if
1: you dare. I'm sure you have a lot of people that agree with you and a lot of people that don't like you, but I guess that's well, what comes with the territory.
0: Yeah, we talk a lot about compensation issues, but also talk about the Minnesota Twins baseball team and how uh, how uh, they're just folding left and right, but we talk the glory about days lots of, of things. The Kirby Puckett.
1: I'll
0: never that's right.
1: That team was a great team. Oh yeah, they had a great team. I used to play them in uh, the baseball, my video games. I would always be the Twins during their heyday.
0: Who else do they have back then when they went on? Their well, you had, her, you had her back Herbeck and you, and yeah Frank Frank's what they call sweet music viola, um, Danny Gladden and a few others and Corey Kosky and all that. But yeah, I um I temporarily lost my hearing attending the game six of the World Series in ninety one. <laughs> It was so loud inside that stadium. Um, it took me about a week to regain the hearing in my left ear. Yeah, I believe um, it. It's when Puckett hit that home run. Yeah. And Jack Buck said, see you tomorrow. And basically <laughs> the next game seven yeah. is tomorrow. And, yep. and the whole, the whole crowd just went ballistic. And Oh, that had to be so cool. Oh
1: yeah. hey, uh, your podcast is it also on apple or, or spotify or is it yeah it's out anywhere
0: you can find you'd like God. to go with your favorite podcasts i'm out there i'm spread out everywhere beautiful beautiful we'll make sure we do that hey man thank you so much uh blessings to you
1: and your family uh it's incredible what you've endured and what you guys are continuing to endure and uh wishing you
0: nothing but success well thank you very much i really appreciate it nate your time and it's just it's fun to actually meet new people and we branch out in new, you know, we're all walking the same path. Sooner or later, we have to stop, turn to our left, turn to our right, and actually see other uh, other people that are walking with us. And, and that's what we've done here today. Perfect. So I appreciate take,
1: it. Take care, my friend.